Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Projectionist Podcast. Uh, tonight's episode will be discussing uh, Mary Heron's American Psycho from the year 2000. We'll be talking about satire, genre distinction, Christian Bell, a lot of other things. Hopefully, it's interesting. Hopefully, it's fun. Uh, but first, uh, before we start introductions, I'll be your host for today. My name is Ryan. With me is, has always been the case, actually, for the past uh, episodes. We've got Jordan. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Chad. Hello. And Max. Hi. All right. So... Uh, I picked for a random movie, random selection, American Psycho. This movie, um, I really love this movie. Um, it means a lot to me, actually. Um, I'm going to start with a little story, if you guys don't mind. Um, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's a little story. It's going to lead to a question. Hopefully you guys will have an answer. I exp- um, when I ask this question, I'm about to ask you guys, um, after my long preamble here, uh, people usually have uh, the answer right off the cuff, so mm-hmm. I, I just figured you guys would, too. Um, when I... Um, we don't talk about it a whole lot on the podcast, because uh, it's not really important to the podcast, but for those listening, if there um, is anyone listening, uh, we're all independent filmmakers. We all, at one point in our lives, decided that we you know, we wanted to try to make movies for a living, and there's always, there's one movie that'll affect us in a way that, you know, makes us make that decision. For me, that's American Psycho. Um, it came along, uh, I watched it the first time when I was 13, and it's... Uh, it, it just came along, I think, at the right point in my life to affect me in, in such a way that I was a, I was able to look at movies differently. Because um, what I would do when I was a kid is there was this video store just down the street from where I lived within walking distance, and they had this thing where you could rent these general titles. Um, it would been like a movie like that's uh, three years old. They would go in the general title selection. You can pick five for five nights for five dollars, and that's what I always do. I would just uh, prowl around the comedy, the <laughs> horror, and the um, sci-fi sections, and uh, I picked American Psycho one day uh, from the horror section because um, it said there was uh, nudity in it, so I thought, yeah, no, I would, I'd pop this in, be a slasher flick, get my, you know, my tits quota for the, for the evening, and then be on my way, and, uh, but I, when I was watching it, um, I was expecting to see, like, this slasher flick, this horror movie, but it's not that. It looks like a horror movie. It feels like a horror movie, but for some reason, I felt like it was a comedy, mm-hmm. and it is a comedy. It's a satire. Um, but you know, this this was the this was the movie that made me look at movies other than just pure entertainment. Like there's something beneath them, and I just want to know. I would go around the table, start with Jordan, I guess, since you're on my left here. What what movie did that for you? What movie made you see film differently? I would actually, this is, might be interesting for you to make it short. I actually think this one would be a big one. Uh, however, though, the movie for me uh, was King Kong from 1933. Um, my dad showed me that one when I was young, really, really young. And um, I wanted to know how did they make this um, monkey move because my dad said it was made out of clay. And I was like, how did they do that? You know. So that's one of the things I kind of found interesting is that that's, that's actually what I wanted to do when I first was interested in the movies I wanted to do special effects I wanted to create puppets I wanted to explode heads because that's what got me into it but American Psycho got me into it more in my teen years because oh so this movie had that effect on you too it did a little bit because I never heard of uh, of uh, Christian Bale at the time I didn't either um, of course I didn't know I'd seen him in Empire of the Sun I don't know. I, I I don't know. I was him when I you know when he was younger. Um, 
But this movie did it for me because I found it to be weird because with the name American Psycho and with some of the things they do to it is just so weird. But when I first saw that, I was like, wow, what the hell is this? Like, I just thought it was so brilliant because when you put in a movie like this, because at that age, I'm, I'm rambling, so I'm going to make it very, very short now. At my age, uh, when I first saw this, I was into Jason Michael Freddy. So I was thinking that's what I was going to get. And I got the complete opposite. And I was like, oh, this is how you can make an actual scary movie. This is really cool. I thought it was scary. So that kind of helped me. And, and that rambled and I apologize. So King Kong and American Psycho, two different movies, kind of got me interested. Oh, um, I don't know. For me, I've actually had a tough time trying to pinpoint exactly what movie mm-hmm. for a long time. And I've, I've, I've probably cited uh, in my head or talking to people, several different movies. I don't know if there's one in particular. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I kind of had a similar... Like, my dad would rent movies, and then he would record them on VHS, and then we'd have, like, a VHS with, like, five movies on it. Mm-hmm. And he would just do that again and again and again. Wasn't that wonderful? Oh, it was fucking amazing. And, like, I don't know, you guys have probably been in my house mm-hmm. and seen our giant DVD wall. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, like, my want to become a filmmaker just kind of came from, well, I guess to a small degree, like, the fact that I wasn't a very active kid because I was kind of sick when I was younger. So, like, my way of getting through the days was just sitting down and watching movie after movie after movie. I actually used to, because I was sick, I would use it to my advantage and I would pretend to be sick at school so that I could go home and watch movies. And I would just do that. I would do that over and over and over again. Um, I don't know if there was a movie, like, in particular that stuck with me that um, that made me, like, really want to make movies. Like... I think when I was younger, like maybe like 13 or so, or 14, or was when I really got into it. Because when I was a kid, I actually just wanted to be a cartoonist. Because I just wanted to like tell stories. And I wasn't very good at art. I was not very good at it at all. I was better then, but I'm terrible now. Like, I can't even do stick figures well. <laughs> but, uh, I think... Like, yeah, I think it was a, a large, uh, just a, a watching movies all the time. Um, and I kind of got a little more serious about, like, wanting to, to make, like, serious films, I guess, once I was near the end of high school, and I, like, I actually just created this giant list of movies to watch, and I, like, literally just went to IMDb and did their top 250, and just started going through it and just watching this one and then that one and that one. Getting as much as I could from, like, the local rental places. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if... I mean, there's a few movies, like, I like. I know when I saw Magnolia for the first time, like, I, I genuinely felt like I want to make a movie that feels this, like, alive and, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no one particular. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. Good story. Good story. All right, well, for me, it's, it was kind of a, a two-part thing, really. It was, I, when, when I was really young, I saw Fargo. I was probably too young to watch that movie. But, but just the, the, the beauty of those visuals and just the emotional power of that film 
That was like the first time I felt like I actually wanted to be involved in film and contribute to it. And at first I wanted to be a cinematographer, you know, but actually it was, it's funny that Chad mentioned Magnolia because that was, I think Magnolia was the one that actually made me want to like write movies and direct them because like I came across the, the script for Magnolia in, um, you know, I was just looking for film books in a, in a bookstore and I found the script and I read it before I saw the film. So I just, I read that, that script as a work of literature, you know, divorced from the movie. And I loved it. And then when I saw the film and saw how he carried it out. So for me, up until that point, I didn't know that film could be, you know, that personal and that literary. So I, I would say those two, really. Cool. All right. Those are great stories. Those are, those are really, really nice, eloquent answers, you guys. Um, so, back to uh, my part of the last question is that I went into this expecting to have uh, make, uh, expecting it to be like a slasher flick, horror flick. Yeah. Um, but it's a comedy. It is there's it's over the top and it is categorized as a satire. Mm-hmm. And I just had a question because I know um, I have the uh, I have the textbook definition of satire here on my my questions page. But I w- I just want to know what. To you individually, how you feel? What do you feel is is good satire? I can hop in. I feel like for satire to be effective, it has to actually infiltrate the genre, right? Because I think where a lot of people who are trying to make satires make mistakes is that they don't know what to play straight and what to exaggerate. Right, I think in an effective satire, like even something like uh, like Naked Gun, for example, which is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Naked Gun is is about ridiculous people in a kind of basic genre situation. Right, so you you, you play you 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 play the world as straight and the characters for laughs. You play the the characters straight or the world for laughs. It's it's about. I feel like effective satire is about is about balance. Really, does that make any sense at all? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I feel like one element has to be straight. One element has to be absurd in order for it to be effective. And I think a lot of a lot of would be satirists just kind of make everything absurd, and it doesn't work. Like Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove is absurd people in a very realistic situation, and for me, that's a big part of what makes it such effective satire. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm not as uh, well well spoken as Max on that. Uh, to me, just pretty much a satire is understanding what your source material is, what you're going after, and making it straight, like he said, but also playing it as this. To me, American Psycho is one of the perfect satires ever, because it's about yuppies. And why it's funny to me is they fight, and well, not fight, but Patrick Bateman freaks out because the color of business cards. That's just funny. Spielberg wouldn't spend five minutes doing that. So that's why I think this is funny. And uh, I think my funniest part is when uh, he goes completely nuts and uh, the ATM says, feed me the cat. Yeah. That's just funny. So I don't really have that deep of thought like Max, but uh, I know satire when I see it, and I I think I think this is one of the best. Like, what, what makes an effective satire for you? Um... I guess for me, and I, 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 this is a good example of, of why this is an effective satire, I think 
is where you really are unsure whether or not it's is a satire or not. Yeah. Where where you are not sure if they're playing it serious or if this is a joke, which I think this movie does. Because I, I the first time I watched this, I did not pick up on it being a satire. I just thought it was this ridiculous, like horror movie basically and I didn't like I was I was younger and I didn't really grasp that it was a satire on yeah but yeah no I think I think an effective satire is one where you're not because sh- like in, you mentioned Dr. Strangelove mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people went in Dr. Strangelove assuming that it was I mean it for the most part is very serious mm-hmm. like there's a few jokes and there's you know, like when he's doing, he's doing the Hail Hitler and yeah. and all that. Like, but for the most part, that movie's played straight. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think an effective satire is. Those are yeah. great definitions, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. What? Uh, since you're the last one to answer, I'll start with you here. Um, what one scene from this movie would you say um, epitomizes your view on satire, if there is one? Shoot. Um. That's a hell of a question. I mean, there. I mean, there are. There There's are a lot of examples. Yeah, yeah. That's why I figured it's a broad question. I'll have yeah. answers. Yeah. Right, sure. Um. I get. I would say probably. Well, the, I probably any of the scenes where they're sitting. Um, God damn it, what's that? Like, is what, that place where they're sitting, like at the end of the movie? But they're, they're sitting there oh, several like times. like a cafe sort of place. Yeah, when they're like ca- sitting there talking, mm-hmm. just c- conversating with each other. Like it, it to me, it, it, at times during that those sequences, it feels like I'm watching an episode of Mad Men. Mm. But obviously Mad Men's not really a satire, you know. So I, yeah. unless I'm completely mistaken, I don't. I don't yeah, Mad Men is not a satire. It's not no, a satire. Mad Men is not a satire. It's so like, comedy. I would say because like in those moments it doesn't like there's no big laughs, like the the um, the business card scene is really fucking funny, and the scene where he kills Paul Allen is really fucking funny, but like those moments are <coughs> really really subtle, and the, like those are the moments when I question the most whether or not it's being serious or not okay. uh, for me it's the chainsaw scene no he chases the he chases the prostitute through the hallway because it's ridiculous I mean like uh, the uh, the two girls come over didn't he say one was his cousin yeah that's yeah yeah, yeah but that's just he's lying he's about lying. it yeah, yeah but it's just weird yeah. but anyway so he has the two prostitutes do you have this uh, a funny sex scene where um, he uh he likes to flex his muscles when he's doing a doggy style. I mean, that's pretty awesome. What man hasn't done that? I'm just saying. You've never done that. I know you've never you done have that. To have you don't have to flex. muscles. I have a gut, and it's very nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just he likes to snuggle up your, on it. Your shaved stomach. It's not shaved. <laughs> it's some hair. No, it's from when it was shaved. It wasn't shaved. It was my chesticles. There's a difference. Anyways, continue. continue. Yeah. But I find it funny, and uh, my favorite line in that whole segment, even the chainsaw scene, is my favorite line is whatever the girl's name is, the blonde, the, uh, the blonde prostitute. What's her name? Cat or oh shit, I should know this. Um, can I just can I, I just can I say that. Becky just for the sake of argument? It starts with a C. I oh, think. Kathy, or whatever you go. Kathy, don't look at her asshole. Eat it. It's just what. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's ridiculous. I, I mean, that that old chase chainsaw sequence is one of my favorites. I can't wait to talk about it more. But that's, that's that, well, those are two different sequences, but yeah. But it goes into it. No, they're like different. No, they're, yeah, like yeah, they're ones at the beginning of the film, ones at the, ones uh, near the end. But it's oh, fine. That's okay. it. Uh, you you answered the question. Sorry, well, I liked your answer. My fault. Uh, one of the moments of satire that I really liked, uh, I think my favorite of the, the side characters in the movie is probably uh, Justin Theroux's character, just because, is that how you pronounce his last name? Thoreau. Did I do the Thoreau? Who's he play? Uh, he just plays Timothy one of... Timothy Price. Yeah, he just plays one of Bateman's friends. but he, Just one of the yuppies. Yeah, but he plays the one who's supposedly like more socially conscious and more liberal. Gotcha. And, like that, and I just, I, I like that. I like that character so much, and he amuses me so much because I've I've known lots of people like that, you know, people who are just awful, awful people, but who keep talking about you know how we should make the world a better place and and feed the orphans and and close the puppies and, and then does cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah, no, and I just. Well, I don't think he knows anybody like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there's that that wonderful bit where like Bate, Bateman like upstages him and talks about like, no, we need to fix these social problems and these. And it's just it's it's so it's so funny to me. All these horrible people sitting around spouting out these vague ways to make the world a better place. I, I love that stuff. This is the definition of yuppie to me, man. Yeah, these guys are just ridiculous. Because they have and they they make reference to it a lot in the film. This you know this this attitude that they are superior. You know, I mean the superior the superiority complex of Bateman and the other characters is a major part of the film, and that they feel morally superior and intellectually superior and all that, and I think that's really exemplified by that scene. And I apologize. What exactly? Because I guess I never really paid attention. What exactly does Bateman and his friends do for a living? Are they lawyers? Well, you never really know because they never like throughout the whole movie they never do any yeah. work. They go they go to work, but they never. Do any work? And because they, I'm trying to find the card. Well, yeah. well, they're all vice president. Yeah. So they is, do, um, what? They do something on Wall Street. That's, yeah. yeah. Is, that's it, is, it, is it Wall Street? Yeah. It yeah, it's Wall Street, in New York. Um, but so, uh, to answer my own question, uh, there's a bit in the book, and we're gonna have uh, Max read it here in a second. Uh, oh, yeah. That I think um, <laughs> is the best example of satire and I wish it was in the movie I can understand why they don't have it in the movie but I wish it was because it's it's really funny so uh, Max if you'll just uh, read uh, just a little context here uh, the scene Patrick and his friends are at a YouTube concert <laughs> this should have been in the movie no wait until he starts reading oh, it I know. so Pandora told me alright so here's an excerpt from Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho but when I sit down, something strange on the stage catches my eye. Bono has now moved across the stage, following me to my seat, and he's staring into my eyes, kneeling at the edge of the stage, wearing black jeans, maybe Gitano, sandals, a leather vest with no shirt beneath it. His body is white, covered with sweat, and it's not worked out enough. There's no muscle tone, and what definition there might be is covered beneath a paltry amount of chest hair. He has a cowboy hat on, and his hair is pulled back into a ponytail, and he's moaning some dirge. I catch the lyric, a hero is an insect in this world. And he has a faint, barely noticeable, but nonetheless intense smirk on his face, and it grows, spreading across it confidently. And while his eyes blaze, the backdrop of the stage turns red, and suddenly I get this tremendous surge of feeling, this rush of knowledge. And I can see into Bono's heart, and my own beats faster because of this, and I realize that I'm receiving a message of some kind from the singer. 
It hits me that we have something in common, that we share a bond, and it's not impossible to believe that I am an invisible cord attached to Bono, which has now encircled me, and now the audience disappears and the music slows down, gets softer, and it's just Bono on stage. The stadium's deserted, the band fades away, and the message, his message, once vague, now gets more powerful, and he's nodding at me, and I'm nodding back, everything getting clearer, my body alive and burning, on fire, and from nowhere a flash of white and blinding light envelops me and I can hear it, can actually feel, can even make out the letters of the message hovering above Bono's head in orange wavy letters. I am the devil and I am just like you. <laughs> that is amazing. I wish that was in the movie. See, because I, I do wish I do wish this was in the movie. I think and throughout the whole book, this I think that is the best passage, the best example of I think the satire that uh, Brady Sinalis was going for uh, and that it could be a serious scene where a guy is losing his mind but it is so outrageous yeah. how he describes it that you you have to you know, you have, you have to, to figure laugh. it's yeah, you have to laugh, you have to figure that it's not there to be scary it's there yeah. You know. Just to be ridiculous, because at the beginning of the movie, when he goes to the club, and he's like, I want a scotch and soda, whatever, and she turns around, and he goes, you're a stupid, fat, ugly bitch. I'm going to cut you and play with your intestines. It's like, what? And then she turns back around, $25, here you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's actually one of my favorite elements of the film, the way that just nobody ever listens to Bateman. Yeah, and is Bateman simply yeah. there? Because my face <laughs> gets a little puffy in the morning. Yeah, and that stuff we'll get into uh, a little bit later when we delve into the character of Bateman. Twenty. Right. Um, Twenty. Already. Uh, Twenty minutes already? Yeah, bro. All right, well, this is going to be a three-hour episode, guys. It's fine. I'm Uh, fine with it. No, I can skip some stuff here. Uh, I'll I'll finish finish the topic here of satire. Do you guys feel the film is effective as a satire? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Yes, I mean, simply, yeah. It's it's a really... Because... I think that there are many times in the movie where you can mistake it for something else. As as yeah. like I as I brought that up as the definition for what I consider satire. I think there are many times in the because you mentioned the chainsaw scene. At that point, you could easily mistake it for a horror. Like if you flipped on the channel, yeah, and it was on TV, and you're watching it at that moment, mm-hmm. you could easily mistake it for just a typical horror movie. Or if you flipped on to another scene, you could mistake it for a, a drama or, or any number of other things. Which is funny, too, because when Gina saw that, she goes, he's a cute butt. <laughs> I was like, Gina, he's covered in blood chasing a girl naked with a chainsaw. Yeah, but his butt's cute. He must work okay. out. Okay. He must work out. Must work out. Um, okay, so this can lead to a, this uh, leads to another question I had mm-hmm. uh, about um, genre distinction. Because I don't... Because, <laughs> as I said in my introduction... That this was, I found this in the horror section. Yeah. But I don't think it's a horror because it's a satire. I don't think satire, you know, you Comedian. could, it's a, those are supposed to be comedies mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. definition. So I just, my question was, do you guys, uh, and also because uh, looking on IMDb and Amazon, some, some label it as a comedy, some label it as a, a horror, some as a thriller. It's actually uh, one of the, the movie was actually one of the best selling in the kids and family for some reason on Amazon. Um, but what? What? Yeah, yeah, it was like number seventy something kids and family. Jesus um, Christ! I know it was weird. That's weird as shit. But yeah, yeah so the question, um, and this could even open up to a broader um, topic about genre classification, all that stuff. 
uh, do you feel what, what what genre do you feel this belongs to? Like, what kind of movie is this? I th- in a broad sense, I guess. I feel it deserves to be in horror. I do. Why? Because I feel that it gives the Jason and Freddie and Michael fans like me. That's how I found it. It gives us a chance to go. Oh, there's something more than just a guy in a mask that doesn't speak kill people. You know what I'm saying? I think it deserves to be horror. I feel if you want to classify this, I feel it should be horror slash suspense. Because it's suspenseful. Is he going to kill the girl with a chainsaw or not? Is he eating her face? Why is he bathing her? Why? Why is he bathing her? <laughs> Why is he talking about Huey Lewis in the news? What the fuck is Dorcia? You know? It's like just stupid shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's suspenseful and I also think it deserves to be more. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've always just thought of the film as a, as a super dark comedy. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one, yeah. See... Nah, I'm not. I was gonna give a super like pretentious. Uh, Were you? I was just gonna say that I think genre in in itself is kind of stupid. Oh yeah, you're gonna but go that route. I well, I mean, cause like I understand that there has to be a classification. Yeah. For commercial reasons, you have to sell it. Yeah. And there has to be a genre distinction so that when you pick uh, up the DVD, if you genuinely like. You have to know what you're looking, what you're, what you're gonna watch. I get that. I get that. But I like. I think it could be any of the three. Suspense, horror, and comedy. Yeah, I th- I mean, or any of the what. But I, I think it could be. You could, you could define it as, I guess, rather the two, a horror or a comedy. I think it's more of a comedy, obviously. No, oh, yeah, I would agree. Because it's. It's obviously satire, but yeah, I just I don't know. I just think genre is well, like because there's there's other movies that uh, obviously that are that that flip between genres. Like like well, uh, first thing that's coming to my head, my mind, uh, Shaun of the Dead, which is a comedy horror. Mm-hmm. It's more of a comedy than it is a horror, but you know. All right, I will stop with my pretentious answer. Okay, it's not pretentious. Mm-hmm. The dog just looked at me. Did she lick at you? Look. Oh, she does that. She's weird. Like was it? Like was those it? eyes of hey, I'm a dog and you're a human. Hey, Jordan, run out of time. So yeah, I'm gonna shut up. We run out of time. Just yeah, like try to rein it in. Rain, you know? or, yeah, rain. Just, I'm good. Next question. Okay. All right. So now to the content of uh, of the film, which yeah. is, um, now I know you guys haven't read the book um i just read it for the first time uh, in preparation for this episode mm-hmm. and the movie is actually a very faithful adaptation a lot like i would say probably 85 90 percent of the dialogue in the movie is found somewhere in the book mm-hmm. really yeah there i mean it's scenes are scenes are in the book that aren't in the movie like the one we just read yeah. um but and things are condensed uh, characters are switched around but for the most part it is fairly faithful and so uh, when the book was released, the book was boycotted. It was uh, some people didn't sell it and everything because of the um, the violence against women in the movie or in the book. Um, a lot of the scenes where Patrick describes how he murdered the women uh, and what he did with their body parts um, uh, is very. His descriptions are very dispassionate. He uh, and it's for a purpose because how he describes everything is he's removed from it. So this would, so I mean, if he got, you know, enthralled by this, it wouldn't. When you're reading it, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but uh, a lot of women's groups, national organization, organization of women, um, wanted to boycott it because mm-hmm. of that. 
Um, but the movie is directed by a woman, mm-hmm. and it's co-written by Mary Heron, the director, and uh, Guinevere Turner, who plays a small part in the movie. And I was just curious if you guys, if if that changes might change your opinion on how things are presented because it's it is kind of being filtered through the eyes of women with this very this, the movie is still misogynistic but that's there's a point to it mm-hmm. but do you feel that having the women be the ones essentially in charge of what we see affect that i think it's brilliant that women are in charge of this uh because i think a woman can make a movie like this just like any other man could, honestly. Just because she's a woman doesn't mean she can't make any statements about how she feels about women's rights. You know? I think that she knew the movie that she was making, and I think she found something in it. I don't know what it is. I can't speak for her. But I think she found it to be, uh, maybe, uh, maybe she found it to be intriguing. Like, hey, <laughs> this is kind of ridiculous. I'm going to make a movie about it. I don't know. It's just, I, I, it's not a really great answer. Well, but. I mean, I think... I mean, it's obviously satire on a lot of things, but it's also in part a satire on misogyny. Yeah, I would go with that. Yeah, I would go with that. So it, it, I mean, I guess it does make sense. I mean, I don't think that it 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 colors it in any other way. I mean, I don't, I don't think it really has an effect on the film. I it mean, because I actually, when I first saw it, I didn't know that, that it was directed by a woman and like. I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't. I get. Wh- I get why you're asking the question because it is something to ponder over. But yeah, normally yeah. it wouldn't matter yeah. if a woman directed it or not. Yeah. it's just that because of the history of the book. It's, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. Yeah, see, it's interesting because I mean, I, you know, I've never thought of the film as being a misogynistic film, even though it obviously has misogyny in it. I think that because it presents it like as so parodic and so ridiculous and over the top, I don't think anybody could confuse this, like, anybody who's, you know, pro-misogyny or anti-woman could, like, unless they're a complete moron, could watch this film and feel, like, validated by it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'll go with it. It's, it's really hard to talk about because I'm trying to find the words. It's not hard yeah. to talk about meaning that I, I, I feel so deeply about the issue. It's hard to talk about because I'm trying to find the words to say it. So yeah, don't I'm let that word be the N-word. <laughs> I remember the last time we talked about women. I know. And misogyny. Right. I had a legitimate reason to that point. No, I get Yeah, no, we can. We can talk about it. I'm it's not going to go into but it. No, I have I just, a reason. There, there, there is a point to the misogyny yeah. in the yeah. movie. And um, there's another question. I have a couple what-ifs, and this is going to be the first one. Um, throughout the, the production of American Psycho was kind of troubled. Uh, Mary Heron was the first one to sign on to direct it, and then they fired her because um, they wanted Oliver Stone to, oh. to direct it. Now the question is, the what-if. How do you think he would have handled this material? Oliver Stone would have natural bone killers. That, that wouldn't have been good. But he's he kind of has these uh, man's man lead characters. It, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have that independent feel, and I don't think he would allow Christian Bale to ham it up. Well, I mean, when he well, well when he was directing, Leonardo DiCaprio was gonna play Bateman, yeah. which is a that's a weird. Oh. Is At that point, I'm like, yeah, he's hot off. Thousand. Yeah, he's hot yeah. off Titanic. That's no. a weird. No, like I could see it now, especially because. Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. No, I mean, Oliver Stone, I mean, certainly, like, makes movies about men. He has, like, a very, very male viewpoint. And, like, the women in his films usually 
are are pretty underwritten and undercharacterized. So yeah, I mean, I mean, this is obviously a movie ab- about a man, but I, I don't think it like glorifies his you know his macho attitudes or anything. And I feel like if Stone had made it, it it might have. And and you know how parodic it is might have been a little less clear. I 100% agree with you, Max, because this is not your man's man. No, no. Well, he, I mean... He talks about his face being puffy. He puts exfoliating cream. And that's part of the... That's, part that's of why the, it's funny. I think that's, yeah, that's part of the, the satire. The, these guys treat women as objects and meat and that they're less than them because of the girlish aspects of, of, of the, the feminine aspects that they have. Yeah. And yet these guys will talk about how, how are we supposed to dress, how are we supposed to look. You know, did you get a manicure? I got yeah. a manicure. Every apartment has to be white and chrome. Yeah. You know, barely there. Yeah, and that's also the the the, the blankness of everything is also a, yeah. a good. Have porn in the background or Texas Chainsaw Massacre while you're ordering product from a catalog. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. I do that all the time. That's 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 bizarre and okay. kind of scary. That's fine. Um, and you're you're married. You said. Well, legally. Okay. I don't know what that means. What, what, I'm what gonna tell Gene. He means that. he means not emotionally. Oh, okay. Yes, no. I'm just simply not there. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about uh, Patrick Bateman. Oh, and, please. And the Christian Bale's performance. Mm. I personally, uh, this is uh, my like one one of my top five favorite performances. Of all time, I, from Christian Bale, just in general. From in, in general, I okay. think I think it's very brilliant. He uh, a lot of the stuff he does makes the movie better, mm-hmm. uh, in my eyes. Um, and it's actually the, the, this is the movie that Christian Bale is my favorite actor. He's been my favorite actor ever since I watched this movie. Um, and then he solidified that with uh, the Batman movies. I'm a really big Batman fan. Everyone mm-hmm. is, I think. But yeah, so how do you guys feel about his performance? What what sort of things did he bring to it? You guys don't think. That that would be singular to to him. I uh, would I um I'm gonna st- I actually st- I'm stealing this from a review, but I agree with it. Uh, in reading about it while we were watching the movie, um, s- somebody had had written that he like throws himself into the role without mm-hmm. like any thought for self preservation. Like he is at no like he is not at all trying to like preserve his image or. He's giving himself over to the role, which I feel is a really, really bri- like good quality to have as a as an actor. No, that's actually what I was. That's pretty much what I was gonna say. Just the the degree that he commits to it, like that. That he just. I feel like a lot. I feel like if DiCaprio had made it, it probably would have been toned down. You know, based on his image and his reputation and his marketability. <coughs> but I think that Christian Bale's willingness to just give himself over to this and completely lose himself in it is is a big part of what makes the film works and makes it effective as a parody and act and makes the character scary. Nobody else could play this role but him. I don't think anybody else could play any role in this movie but that actor or actress that played him. Like I don't, I don't see Jared Leto playing it. I don't see anybody else playing Jared Leto's role, Paul Allen. Um, this got me into Christian Bale. This made me go see The Machinist because he was in this movie. Uh, this made me get excited when I heard he was playing Batman. So I think this nobody else could play this. Leo could have done it. Mark Wahlberg could have done it. But... 
Wait, why Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> yeah. Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, why Mark Wahlberg? Because Mark Wahlberg does sometimes play these serious kind of fucked up roles. Sometimes. And uh, I can see him trying to do this part, What's an but exa- failing miserably. What's an example of that? Uh, fear. That's not. I he goes crazy in fear. Right. Uh, some of his uh, some of his cop gangster stuff that he's done, you know, like his like his All every. Right. Uh, you got. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, it's just because Mark Wahlberg's a random. Na- you pulled yeah. a random name. Well, he's one hell of a good actor. So nobody else could play this. But him. What? What? But what about the performance? Do you feel you get lost in it? You forget you're watching a movie sometimes because this guy is just so goddamn brilliant. The actor is so brilliant that you. To me, one of the greatest examples of having good entertainment in general is forgetting that it's fake. Like, uh, for example, early Simpsons, early early Simpsons, right? Sometimes if you watch them because they're so goddamn good, you forget you're watching a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes. Not all the time. Hmm. You know, I mean, and the last part, I'm sorry, Jeff, oh, is that fine. when you see a movie that's so goddamn good, you believe these characters actually exist. When I watch American Psycho, it's like, I believe that motherfucker's in New York. I, I swear to God. Like, I believe it. It takes me out of the movie. And that's what makes it great, that performance. Sorry, Chad. No, no, but I, I actually think that, because uh, I know a lot of people have complained about Christian Bale over the years, and I have never seen why. Well, because, but he's that's I mean, the, he still gives a commitment still, performance in yeah, Terminator. This is a doing, shitty movie. He's still good in it. Yeah, okay. like I I feel like he he's probably one of the best actors like, working uh, right now. A prime example is the Out of the Furnace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that during the Black Mass episode. Yeah. where it the acting in that movie is really good. He's yeah. he's committed. He's, he's really amazing. good, but that movie just sucks. And it's nuts to me that he made that movie in the same year as American Hustle because he like came a, out in the same yeah. month. Like he looks like so fucking emaciated and out of the furnace. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. No, Christian Bell. He yeah. He's one of, just for shits and gigs. What what's who's your favorite actor? Christian Bell's mine. Who's yours? Oh God. Um. Mm, fuck. I actually talked about this with Gina the last week. I forgot. You forgot your favorite actor? Well, no, because because I, there's, there's, there's a few that I love. Well, who do you love? Oh, God. I love De Niro. I love Pacino. I love De, uh, I love uh, Bale. Mark uh, um, I like uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, God, I also love uh, DiCaprio. Um, fuck. I don't know, man. There's a lot of guys you know that are just fucking great. I mean, I actually think Bradley Cooper is great in some stuff. Not mm-hmm. everything, but he's great in some no, stuff. I think Bradley Cooper is great. I don't really have... God, I don't know, man. All right. I don't know. That's good enough, I guess. It's just for, you know, it's a funsies answer. You don't have to really be serious about it. Right. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, oh, Philip, I love you. I, I, I genuinely, like, I've, I've loved him in everything I've ever seen him in. I miss his ass. And actually, he is my favorite. Actually, he's my favorite uh, character uh, in, in Magnolia. I don't know. I, I can't give a really good reason for why, uh, but he's my favorite uh, character in Magnolia in any Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Wow. Which is, which is I think, kind of a big statement because Paul Thomas Anderson writes really great fucking characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because, like, the, the Phil character, which is his, his name in that movie, is just, like, the nicest human being. <laughs> He's just trying to be nice. Okay. Max, sorry. Um, I don't know. I mean... It's a very hard question to answer, honestly. I mean, 
a few years ago, I probably would have said that my favorite actor working right now was Ryan Gosling. But I don't. If, in recent years, it's kind of seemed like he's the roles he's taking are a bit less diverse. Maybe I don't know. I think probably the actor who's like inspired me the most personally was Robert Mitchum. I mean, I mean, largely for Night of the Hunter, but but just that that performance has changed so much for me. And I also think it's kind of um, that that character is kind of similar to Bateman in some ways. Just that idea of of the comedy enhancing the horror and vice versa. Um, uh, people can't really see his evil. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, the 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 movie has a twist at the mm-hmm. end where. He goes on this very, I feel it's out of uh, character. He goes on a shooting spree. Oh, yeah. It kind of comes out of nowhere. So the tone shifts. Yeah. Um, it starts with the funny, you know, ATM, feed me the stray cat. Um, and then it gets over the top, over the top. So, I mean, that works, but it just feels out of place in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, and then we find out that the message he leaves for his lawyer, uh, the lawyer says that uh, it's untrue because I had. Uh, when he says that he killed Paul Allen, he says, untrue, because I had lunch with Paul Allen in London twice last week. Mm-hmm. So you're left to wonder if, in fact, this was all in his head, because he is kind of crazy. He know? even says that he's Davis, right? He even calls him Davis. Yeah, he calls him a different name, yeah. He's, he's like yeah. three different names. No, and that's like a running thing through the movie. Yeah, that he keeps getting mistaken. For that, yeah. Do you guys? I know the. I know the. Some of the power of film can be derived from its vague ending, but I would like you guys to, if you could, tell me if you think he did it or not. He did some stuff, not all of them. I don't think he chased a girl naked and with a chainsaw. I don't think um, he killed Paul Allen, but I think. I don't think he actually killed anybody. I just think in his mind he did. I think that it is all fantasy. And it is a fantasy that he has built because he feels inadequate. So he's he's built these fantasies where he's killed all these women and he's done all these horrible things because he wanted to feel powerful. Because uh, as I mean, I'm not a fucking uh, psychologist, but a lot of times people do horrible things like that because they want power because they feel weak. I feel like he's created these fantasies as a way to feel powerful because he feels inadequate. So I don't think any of it's real. I mean, obviously that's like the fun of the ending is that you don't know. No, I think I think the film gets a, a lot of power from you not knowing what's real and what's not. I mean, I do have an opinion about it. and But, I mean, I do think that some of the stuff that happens in the film is probably real, like that scene where he brings the, the prostitutes back and hurts them with the, the hangers and whatnot. Like, that yeah. stuff is probably real. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of the murders are. I think that, I mean, probably not, in my estimation. Because, I, I mean, you know, that, that, that just scene where he goes on that killing spree is just so absurd. Like, there's even that moment after the cop car explodes when he, like, looks down at the gun and he's like, really? Really, when he you know. when he he exits the building, no, I think like I ate some of her brains. I think that like a running theme in the film is 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 Bateman's isolation, his invisibility. I mean, he remarks on that right at the beginning of the film that he barely even exists. And he keeps, like, referencing back. Like, at first, I thought that the voiceover was kind of revealing too much. Like, him talking about how crazy he was and everything. That maybe it was showing rather than telling. But I also think that people who are genuinely crazy don't know they're crazy. 
And so I think his constant insistence that, like, I'm insane, I'm a messed up guy, is just really a cry for attention. And I think that he wants these things to be true because it would make him special and make him unique and make him stand out, but that they're not. Um, I just want to add, like, one little small thing uh, to further my point. Um, uh, there's a book uh, called uh, Blood Meridian. Uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's the guy who wrote it, who actually wrote No Country for Old Men. Um, in it, there's a character named Judge Holden who is, like, the fucking, like, mega villain. Like, he's, like, he's like the most villainous human being, like, on, on, on the face of the planet. Like, he's horrible. He rapes children. He, like, slaughters villages. He's horrible. Uh, and something Corey McCarthy said about uh, about like violence and, and and doing horrible things was that he said that it is uh, it it comes from fear mm-hmm. that 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 it's it's just a byproduct of fear that 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 evilness is just a byproduct of fear. So to to hammer in my point that like that I the reason why I think of the fantasy is because I think he feels inadequate, which uh, can be further. Uh, there's further ev- evidence of earlier in the scene where he he kills the guy who has the better co- business card. Paul Allen. He kills yeah he kills Paul Allen because he has a better business card, and then he goes to kill the other guy because he has a better business card. Yeah. So they are directly linked to his feelings of inadequacy. Yeah, I like it. Like, yep, I agree with that. Okay, so um, what do you guys? So you think he committed some of the murders? You guys think they're all in his head? Well, some. Yeah, that's we haven't what, seen. That's what I said. You you yeah, said you, yeah, yeah. you commit some of the murders. You guys think it's yeah. all in his head. Uh, what do you think Patrick Bateman's doing right now? He is dead. He's dead. I asked this question. I probably should. I asked this question because I read a while ago, and I think it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but MTV is. A, I don't know if it's a series or a limited series, but they're going to do a, a modern. American Psycho with Patrick Bateman in his fifties. That's I, the know. most stupidest idea in the world. It is. I, I think it's a bad idea. But so I'm just asking the question because I think it's an interesting yeah. thing. I think he's dead. Well, I I know Patrick Bateman was supposed to be in the Rules of Attraction, and I think he's actually in the book. Is that a prequel or a sequel? It came out before. Yeah, so I think oh, it was that was his first book. Oh, okay. Well, you it's know, I, I haven't book. read is that. Is the second s- book? No. Less than zero was his first. Yeah, no, yeah, because I know, I know this is after. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that he he's not going to get better because he doesn't have any means to get better, right? Because the entire world is ignoring him. He's living in his own little echo chamber of madness. So he's probably just going to get you know further and further out there and keep seeing these horrible visions and go more and more insane. So you gotta go more and more. Say, what year did this movie take place? Eighty-seven. This is before the stock market crash. So the stock market crashes. He nuts. That's what pushes him over the edge. He dead. Well, his his dad is super wealthy. He doesn't. They they mention in the movie that you don't need to work because your dad owns the company. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like his dad's loaded. Yeah, but his dad also. If his dad's on Wall Street, then he would have been a part of the stock market crash. He had to have lost some millions there. No. Yeah, but I don't think enough to make Patrick yeah, I don't destitute. Think he'd be poor. Okay. Okay. But I mean, it's your theory. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. I, think, I mean, yeah, he's just like in the corner of his living room, like, like drooling on himself. <laughs> yeah, I think he's either like in an asylum or like has committed suicide due to his 
Yeah. Okay. So on that highly positive note, what, yeah. do, you, what do you what do you think of the movie as a whole? Uh, what what's your review of it? I think it's a movie that you need to watch, but I think you have to be really mature. I mean, uh, and, and 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 that's not made to be funny. That's that's made to be serious because uh, there are some movies that people can watch that you don't need to be mature on that are violent and disturbing. But this movie, you have to really fucking not like you have to get it. Because you're just not going to. This movie is crazy. It's nuts. Uh, I love the yuppies. Uh, Jared Leto can't do anything wrong. That's my opinion. I love Jared Leto. Actually, no, there. There's my actor, Jared Leto. That's your favorite? That's my favorite, man. He can't do anything wrong. The man's a genius. Um, And I just love him in the part. Uh, This movie is something I will watch again and again and again and again and again. I will not show it to my 12-year-old, though. I can tell you that. Maybe 13. You know, I was thirteen bo- when I saw it. Yeah, hey son, you want to see some boobs? No, that's that's the reason I watched. That's the reason Those I got it. Boobs. It's that nudity, yeah. Those boobs. And my world was changed. It's yes, it was. Most unexpected. <laughs> when you well, yeah, when you're thirteen and you like boobs, you Google yeah. boobs and porn. Exactly. Sure, there was no Google when we were thirteen. Damn it. Yeah, there was. Uh, there was. When we were thirteen, when I was thirteen. Yeah, what would have been ninety nine? There was no Google. Two thousand. We came out two thousand five. But anywho. Google did not come out in 2005. <laughs> I'm going to go pee while this is happening. <laughs> what world do you... This isn't China. What world do you live in? Google's been around since, I would say, at least 98, I think. YouTube came out in 2005. So did Facebook. 2003. Well... I've yeah. seen Social Network. I know it's history, sir. Mm-hmm. So did I. What's your point? I think the movie's <laughs> amazing. I think it's something you need to watch. I think it's brilliant, and it's definitely in my collection, and I think it's uh, just wonderful. Are you, so are you going to Google when Google was invented? Yeah, 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 I am actually right now. Uh, let's see here. Fuck. Uh, uh, it was founded in 1998. It was founded. They didn't mean it go live in 98. It didn't mean it went live. All right, Max, what's next? Fuck me. Good movie. See it. Max, what's your what's your opinion of the movie? Uh, no, uh, I, 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 I really like it. I really like it a lot. Um, I think it is both uh, very funny and uh, and really disturbing, and um, I, I think the acting in it is excellent. I think it's it's very well written. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I mean, I think there are moments where it maybe gets a little overly goofy for my taste anyway like Reese Witherspoon's character for example I'm not a huge fan of but overall I think it is a it is a, a very effective film and really gets its point across and is very well made so I would recommend it too yeah I, I would recommend it it's um it's not for everyone um, but I, I do think everyone needs, uh, should see it they don't need to but they should um, if you have any interest in it uh, Christian Bell I think is perfect in the movie and yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites. Going off your thing, I don't think it's perfect. I need to. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. Sorry. Um, I know. Uh, it's it's just it's one of my. It affected me in a way that is important to me, and that's why I think of uh, why I want people to see it. And I want to read the book, so I may buy it. I also want to read the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, I would recommend it. Uh, to anybody. But I know a lot of people would not like it for a lot of reasons because it deals with a lot of very taboo subject matter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can understand why a lot of people wouldn't like it. Um, but I would recommend it. I would recommend it. I think that it is. 
an important piece of satire. I know that there are certain types of satire like this or stuff that like Chuck um, Polonic writes that is really not for everybody. But I think that they're both talented guys. I kind of think Brett Easton Ellis is kind of a dick, but whatever. A lot of really good artists are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would recommend it. It's a great film. I really do want to read the book eventually. It's on a giant list of books that I want to read, so... Yeah, and 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 the performance of Christian Bale is... Wonderful. I would say one of the best of his career, but he's had a really good career, so... Yeah, yeah and back to the... Uh, it's not for everyone. Uh, when I was watching it to get uh, ready for this episode, I was watching it with my girlfriend, and uh, she asked me. I th- I lost count uh, at f- at five, um, but she told me to turn it off at least five times. <laughs> and when I asked her to give me a summary of her thoughts, she said disgusting. Um, so yeah, it's not for everyone, but it Which is. Which is funny because my wife loved it. I don't know. That's weird. Did you watch it with Danielle? Yeah, well, Danielle, uh, my girlfriend, uh, really likes Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, oh, okay, so she loved it. So that's yeah, so weird. Saying, yeah. Well, that's all right. Hey, you know what though? Though that means though, that means that your girlfriend just has amazing taste. Yeah, she's with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, duh. Yeah. You silly bitch. Totes. Anyways, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, we all agree, great movie. You should watch it. Yeah. Uh, now, so we watch a lot of movies. Blah blah blah. Yada yada yada. Jordan, what's your recommendations for, oh, the, for the, of viewers, the viewers to watch? Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction. Why? Because it's so fucking awesome. I saw that when I was in film school. I had no idea what I was watching. The Half of the fucking thing's in reverse. I have a question. Is yeah. it because Dawson's in it? It's because of... It, <laughs> you know what? You know what? You caught me. It's because of the beak. And also the beak is Patrick Bateman's younger brother. So that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, but my favorite part of the whole movie is the uh, the whole segment of, uh, which is why I want people to watch it, it's the uh, gay dancing to George Michael's Faith in the hotel room, and when they go down to dinner, and the guy's pretending to suck another guy's cock in front of the mother, it is hilarious, it's the greatest thing you'll ever see. Uh, <laughs> why? Why? No, no, no. Great movie. Check out Rules of Attraction. It's amazing. Anybody want to chime in? And can. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, since we're you know since we're talking about a great Christian Bale performance, I am going to recommend uh, the movie that contains my favorite Christian Bale performance, which would be American Hustle uh, from 2013. Uh, My favorite movie of that year, and one of my favorite movies ever. Just um, just a really fun (laughs) movie with a really hilarious and uncharacteristic performance from Christian Bale. So I, I would recommend that very highly. Um. What is he gonna do? Really? What are you gonna do? Uh, I actually, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll recommend Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. It's another movie that, uh, that I, that I feel kind of, um, plays upon a lot of the same subject matter. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not as violent because there's no murder that I can call. No, um, but yeah, it's, it deals with a lot of the same subject matter, yuppies, uh, and, uh, yeah, I also uh, because Leonardo DiCaprio was originally going to play Patrick Bateman. It's I guess the best 
like the only version of that we're ever going to see. Not that I want yeah. to see him play Patrick Bateman. And I would also say Wolf of Wall Street is a really effective satire, though I know yeah. some people agree, uh, disagree with that and think that the film is glorifying those characters. I don't think that at all. Yeah, so. no, that's... that's <laughs> an, like a lot of... Because uh, uh, I've heard people complain about the misogyny in Goodfellas, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yes, but they're also, like... There's, there's, there, there's. Well, they're not gang. I'm like, there are consequences for how shitty they are. Mm-hmm. Like they do horrible fucking things, but there are consequences mm-hmm. for their shittiness. Mm-hmm. Like it is a mo- like Wolf of Wall Street is. He's a horrible person, and people say that oh, it's glorifying. Like, and it's really fun. Like that first part of the movie is very, very fun. But there's consequences for all that fun. There's consequences for it. Yeah, it's only fun because it's from his point of view, and he's yeah. having fun. So yeah. why wouldn't it be? It's not a pro-misogyny movie at all. And neither is American Psycho. Neither is American Psycho. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend uh, for you guys, um, if you exist out there, to watch The Machinist, uh, Christian Bale movie to, from 2004. It's the one where he looks like a skeleton because he lost all that weight. It's the one right before Batman. Uh, yeah, it's a great psycholo- psychological thriller. Sorry, I had to talk slow there for a second. Uh, yeah, check it out. So, yeah. Hopefully you guys come back uh, next week mm-hmm. for our episode. I don't even remember what's next. I don't know what what's next. Even starts next. Um, but, yeah, follow us on uh, Facebook. We're on Twitter, iTunes. Go to the Tumblr page. Um, yeah, make sure you listen to this. Thank you. Have a good night, guys. Bye forever. Bye.